بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so continuing with our hadith, uh, study of the hadith of Irbad ibn Sariya radiallahu ta'ala anhu Last week we got up to part number three of this hadith Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, his explanations divided into eight parts So we got to part number three As a quick reca uh, recap Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu is said to have delivered a sermon and this sermon had three characteristics to it. This sermon had three characteristics to it. Does anybody remember what this sermon was described as being? <coughs> eloquent. It was an eloquent sermon. Yeah, it caused fear to be filled in the hearts of the Sahaba. What else? What else did it do to the Sahaba, Ya Ridwan? Caused them to shed tears. This is what this sermon did. It caused their hearts to be filled with fear. It caused their eyes to be filled with tears. And it caused... Uh, 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 and it was a maw'idah that was balighah. What does this mean? Balagha. Eloquence. What is eloquence? In your own words. There was a definition that Ibn Rajab gave to al-balagha. To eloquence. It was a long definition. A mouthful of a definition. Who can, in their own words, tell us what balagha is? What's the point of balagha? Eloquence. Sometimes a person wants to say something but he can't think of the right words to say it. I experience this all the time. You have a certain ma'na that you want to transmit to other people. A certain meaning inside of you. A certain idea that you have. You want to transmit it. And therefore you transmit it via words. But sometimes you just don't know which are the right words, the best words to use. Balagha is the opposite of that. Balagha is transmitting your thoughts to the hearts of other people using the best words, the most beautiful of words, the most beautiful of the words and those words that affect the hearts the most. Or in layman's terms, as we said last week, Balagha is saying what you mean to say using the best and most effective words. And this is something that Ibn Rajab, he said, is desirable. It is something that is desirable. Why? Why is it something that is desirable? Because that is the thing that will cause people's hearts to accept what you're saying more. People accepting what you say now becomes more, it becomes more probable. It becomes more probable. Attracting their hearts to what you're saying becomes more probable. And therefore, when the Messenger, alayhi salatu delivered this sermon, it had this characteristic of balagha in there, this characteristic of eloquence in there. Tamam. So the first advice that the messenger gave, what was it? This, the companions fear 
may be a farewell sermon. This might be the last time the Messenger والسلام, is going to deliver a sermon to us. So now we want some advice. And the advice that someone gives to you, when it's a farewell advice, has the most effect upon you. Why? Because you bring to mind that this may be the last time I'm going to hear any words from this person. And when a person knows that the advice that I'm about to give may be the last advice that I'll ever offer to this group of people, then he's going to mention anything and everything or is he going to mention those things that are the most important? He's obviously going to mention those things that are the most important. It's not going to be exhaustive in detail. It's going to be summarized. It's going to be to the point. And so the Messenger ﷺ, he offered advice concerning the things that were the most important. What was the first thing that he offered advice about? Ridwan. Very good. What's the actual word that he used? Because fear, you know, there's different words for it in Arabic. There's khashya, there's khawf. He said taqwa. That's the word, isn't it? He said taqwa. You must have taqwa of Allah. What is taqwa? What does taqwa mean? Literally in Arabic. Just like zakah literally means purification. What does taqwa literally mean in Arabic? Anybody besides Sheikh Ridwan? Yeah, Sheikh Anjam. Putting a shield between you. Literally in Arabic, you're, you're on the right line. So putting a shield between you and something that you're fearing, that you're scared of. Taqwa is to put a shield between you and the thing that you're feared of. That's what it means literally in Arabic. What does it mean now in the Islamic context? Putting a shield between you and what do you fear as a Muslim? What do you fear? Jahannam, Adab al-Qabr, you fear the punishment of Allah. So taqwa is to place a barrier, a shield between yourself and the, and the thing that you fear. Yani the, the punishment of Allah. So what is that thing? What's that barrier? What's that shield that you place between yourself and the punishment of Allah? What is the barrier? It's not a physical barrier, is it? It's not a shield. It's not a physical shield that you use. A person uses in the battle. What's the taqwa? What's the shield? What's that barrier that you place between you and the punishment of Allah? Huh? Good deeds. So doing those things that Allah has told you to do. What else? That's what he just said. Obeying Allah. Very good. Staying away from what Allah has told you to keep away from. So doing what Allah has told you to do and keeping away from what Allah has told you to keep away from, that is your shield. That is your barrier between you and the adab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is taqwa. And the first thing that the Prophet ordered us to have was taqwa of Allah. How do you get taqwa? What is one of the best methods, the best techniques, the best ways of getting taqwa of Allah? Developing a shield between you and the punishment of Allah. Doing righteous things. What's one of the best motivations that will motivate you, that will push you, that will propel you in 
uh, in doing righteous deeds. Salah, prayer, so that's a righteous deed. Huh? Knowledge, okay, we're on the right lines. Fantastic. Being conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Conscious of what? Allah's watching you. Being conscious that Allah is watching you. Being conscious of uh, the power of Allah, the might of Allah. That all authority is in, is in His hand, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being conscious of who Allah is. Being conscious of His names, His attributes. How do we know this? How do we get to this? We can arrive at this conclusion that having consciousness of Allah, of His might, His power, is something that leads to taqwa of Allah. This conclusion, we can arrive at just just by the wording in this hadith. How? What's in this hadith that alludes to the fact that being conscious of Allah's might and power will lead you to having taqwa of Him? What's in this hadith that alludes to that? The Prophet, he said, upon you is to have taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal. He said in this hadith, have taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal. Have this piety, this fear of Allah, the mighty and the majestic. So here the Prophet wasallam is reminding us, reminding us that Allah is mighty. Reminding us that He is majestic. Reminding us of this because that reminder will then lead us to have, to have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wadih, you understand that? The Prophet wasallam said, he said, have taqwa of Allah and then he mentioned, he mentioned that Allah is mighty and majestic. Why was that relevant? Because being conscious that Allah is Azza wa Jal, conscious that Allah is mighty and majestic, leads you to having taqwa of Allah, leads you to having piety before Allah. Part number four, the messenger, he said, وَالسَّمْعِ عَلَيْكُمْ عَبْدٍ Second piece of advice that the messenger offered in this farewell piece of advice is for us to hear and obey even if a slave even if a slave gains authority over us even if a slave becomes a leader over us So concerning this Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentions a few points one of them is that the, the ulama, the scholars, they have unanimously agreed upon the fact that a slave cannot be a khalifa. A slave cannot be the leader. So then how, uh, why did the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam say, وَعَلَيْكُمْ وَالسَّمْعِ عَلَيْكُمْ عَبْدِ Upon you is to hear and obey, meaning hear and obey the Khalifa, even if you have a slave in authority over you. If it's the case that the scholars have unanimously agreed upon the fact that a slave cannot be a Khalifa, why did the Messenger والسلام, say this? Ah. Uh, you're on the right lines. Anybody want to help Sheikh Ahmed? 
example uh, or to to push to emphasize ayo al mubalagha fi at taqid yani an exaggerated form of speech to emphasize that is used in order to to emphasize so not literally that uh, 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 that it is yani it does not imply that it is permissible for a slave to be the khalifa the ulama they have said that a slave cannot be a khalifa so this does not imply that meaning yani al mubalagha fi at taqid an exaggerated an exaggerated form of speech that is used to emphasize to emphasize what the importance of listening to your leader obeying your leader regardless of what type of status he carries in society regardless of his ethnic origin regardless of who he is now the scholars they have uh, mentioned certain matters concerning this one of them is that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam he said this out of al mubalagha fi luzum as-sam'i wa ta'a yani an exaggerated form of speech to emphasize hearing and obeying the leader likewise what this narration what this wording can imply is that we have to listen to the slave in what he says in what he commands we have to listen to him if he has been placed as an agent as a minister from the khalifa so the khalifa himself is not an abd he is not a slave but he may have placed a governor for a certain state for a certain region that is a slave just because that governor just because that minister is an abd is a slave does not mean that you are now allowed to disobey him that is a meaning another meaning is that if he was a slave previously but then he became hur he became hur he became free and then later on he ended up taking the reins of khilafa he took on the reins of leadership then upon you is to hear and obey him even 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 if previously he was someone that was a slave he was a slave and then he became freed and then later on in life he became a khalifa he became the leader of the muslimin upon you is to hear and obey him regardless of his background regardless of the fact that he used to be a slave before another meaning is that if a slave becomes the khalifa we've mentioned before that it is not allowed for the abd for the slave to become a khalifa it's not allowed but let's just say hypothetically speaking that a slave comes along he has shauka he has power he has an army he has support he shouldn't do this this does not mean that it's allowed for him to do this but let's just say hypothetically speaking he comes along he makes a revolt against the government against the state against the khalifa against the leader he revolts against him again i have to emphasize the fact that this does not mean that it is permitted for him to do so 
But let's just say it happens. He does so. He does this wrong thing of making khuruj, rebelling against the Muslim leader. He rebels against him. As we know that making khuruj is not allowed. But let's just say he does this. Takes over the land. Takes over the state. Takes over the government. And istaqarrat al-umur. Istaqarrat al-umur. The affairs, they become stabilized. The government, it now becomes stabilized under his reign, under his authority, under his leadership. Everything now becomes stabilized. Now there is aman, there is peace. Now, you have to obey him. Now, you have to listen to him. Not in the situation where, he, where the uprising has occurred and there's still a leader. And that leader, the first leader, has shawka, he has power, he has authority. No, everybody has to support that first leader in fighting against the rebels, the rebellion. Everybody has to help him. Well, everybody has to help the leader, the first leader. But now let's just say that after a while, that leader becomes defeated. All authority, all power is now in the hands of that slave. Now, based upon this statement, you have to obey him. You have to listen to him. Even though he attained the leadership in an illegitimate way, because of the fact that he has now gained power, he's now gained authority, if we try to now rebel against him, what's, rebel against him, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Further bloodshed is going to occur. Further evil is going to happen. Further turmoil and tribulation is going to occur within the land. He rebelled, bloodshed most likely occurred, lives were lost, buildings were destroyed, infrastructure was, was, was destroyed, as has happened in Syria, in all of these countries. All of that happened, but now he's gained authority. Now, there is, now the affairs, they become settled. Leave it as it is. Hear him and obey him. One important point to mention concerning this matter of hearing and obeying the leader is that you're meant to hear him and you're meant to obey him as long as it is not in disobedience to Allah. You listen to the leader even though he may have policies that you might not like. You obey the leader even though he may have place certain regulations in the country that you know are absolutely ridiculous. You still hear him and you still listen to him. As long as he is not telling you to do something haram. If he tells you to do something haram, then you don't obey him. To what extent? Even if he threatens to put you to death, then you have the choice not to obey him. It could be the case that you have to not obey him in that circumstance because everybody's looking up towards you. It could be the case that you're someone that is respected within society. The leader's telling you to do something haram. Now, if you end up doing that haram thing, then everybody else from the common folk, they look up to you. And they'll think, ah, Imam so-and-so has done it. Sheikh so-and-so has done it, therefore it must mean that it's okay. An example of that is Imam, Imam Ahmed. 
The leaders were putting people to trial, scholars to trial. This is a different subject, but we'll mention it briefly. The leaders were putting the scholars to trial. What were they telling them to do? That the Quran is created. They weren't even telling them to physically do anything. Just say it. Say that the Quran is created. Say that the Quran is created. If you say it, we won't torture you and we won't kill you. You're free. And some of the scholars ended up giving in. Some of them ended up saying, Quran is created to save their, to save their lives. However, among them were those that did not give in to the threats of the leader, of the government at that time. And among them was Imam Ahmed. Imam Ahmed, in spite of being threatened with execution, did not give in. Imam Ahmed, in spite of the fact that he's being tortured, he even said it himself, I, I'm scared of the whip. I'm scared of being whipped. In spite of that, he did not give in. And he was so firm about this because he knew that if I end up saying it, I am going to end up causing fitna in the hearts of the rest of the people. If I say it, then what about the rest of the Muslims? They're going to say, you know what, perhaps the Quran is created. So Imam Ahmed stood firm upon this to such an extent that he became angry with one of the great scholars, Yahya ibn Ma'in. Yahya ibn Ma'in, great scholar, an imam in criticism. Yet, because of the fact that he feared for his life, he ended up saying, Naam hadihi makhluqa. He had these fingers in front of him. He had his fingers in front of him. And when the investigators asked him, Ya Yahya, Al Quran makhluq ghayr makhluq? Is the Quran created or not created? Yahya ibn Ma'in, he said, Naam. And he's looking at his fingers. Yani meaning he intended by way of that his fingers being created. Imam Ahmed, when he heard about this, he said, I'm not going to even give salam to Yahya ibn Ma'in now. That is how firm Imam Ahmed was in relation to not obeying the leader in saying that the Quran is created. So the point is you have to listen to the leaders unless they're telling you to do something that is that is haram. It is a limited, restricted form of obedience. It is not mutlaqa. It is not absolute. The only one that we have absolute, unrestricted, unconditional obedience to is Allah. And our Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Everybody else, then ta'ah to them is muqayyada. Ta'at, obedience to them is limited and restricted. Part number five, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Whoever lives long amongst you, he's going to see much dif differing. He's going to see much differing. So the, so the Messenger والسلام, is talking to his Sahaba. He's addressing his Sahaba. And therefore he means that those that live amongst you, the companions, then they will end up seeing much difference. This is from Dala'il al-Nubuwa. This is from the proofs of prophethood that he alayhi salatu wasalam, was a true prophet because this then did end up occurring. This then did end up occurring. 
by the year, yani by the mid uh, 30s of the Hijri calendar, by the year 37 after Hijrah, thereabouts, then difference, much difference occurred. Much difference occurred. Did differing occur before? Yes, there were slight instances of differing. Umar in his Khilafah, you had uh, Subaygh al-Hanvali who started to cause controversy about the, uh, the, 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 ayat, the unclear ayat, the mushtabihat, those ayat that are unclear. This person started to go around and cause controversy regarding this ayat. So Umar he punished this person, and we all know the story. Point being is that difference occurred, but it was very slight, small instances. But then by the time of Ali anhu, the Khawarij were formed as a jama'ah, as a body. Difference occurred on a massive scale now. And this is something that the Messenger prophesied, that those amongst the Sahaba that live long will end up seeing differing. And so we find reports. <coughs> from Abdullah bin Mas'ud making them of innovation censuring and rebuking and warning against innovation why? because it occurred in the time of Abdullah bin Mas'ud Abdullah bin Umar it occurred in their time and thus you find narrations where they are warning against individual bid'ah warning against al-khuruj warning against al-raf Warning against Al-Qadariyah. Warning against these innovations that occurred. In specific, highlighting these innovations and warning against them. Why? Because the Messenger, والسلام, he said, whoever lives long amongst you is going to see much differing. And, and this was something that was true. This prophecy came to be real in the time of the companions that ended up living long. Tamam. Part number six. The Messenger والسلام, he said, فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِينَ عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِذِ Upon you is my sunnah and the sunnah of the khulafa al-rashidin. Upon you is my sunnah and the, khulafa, and the sunnah of the khulafa al-rashidin al-mahdiin. The rightly guided successes. عَضُّ عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِذِ Stick on to that. Stick on to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided successors after me with your mawla teeth. So now when the Messenger والسلام, has said to his companions, whoever lives long amongst you is going to see much differing, much differing. Any sincere person is going to then ask. He's going to ask what? He's going to say, what is the hal? What is the solution? Ya Rasulullah, you have mentioned to us Difference is going to occur. Disputation is going to happen. Controversy is going to occur. What is the hal? What is the solution to this prophecy that you're making? So now the prophet, he gives us a solution. He tells us that, he tells us that the solution is sticking to his sunnah. Not just that, but the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa after him. Abu Bakr, Uthman, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, wa Ali, radwanullahi ta'ala. And the Messenger والسلام, not only does he say that upon us is to adhere to their sunnah, 
But he says, hold on to the sunnah with your mawlati. Why? This type of expression is used to highlight the importance of that thing. Because when you hold on to something with your front teeth, if you get a piece of paper, for example, put it between your teeth, your front, I'm not saying do it right now, but if you were to get some piece, a piece of paper, put it between your front teeth and then pull it, then it will come out much more easily than it would do if that scrunched up piece of paper was crushed between your molar teeth, the teeth at the back. So this expression is used in order to emphasize the importance of whatever the matter may be. In this circumstance, it is the matter of holding on to his sunnah and holding on to the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashidun al-Mahdiyun. The Messenger والسلام, he described the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashidun al-Mahdiyun. He described those Khulafa bil-rushd and he described those Khulafa bil-hidayah. Two characteristics he gave concerning the successes that are going to come after him. Are they going to have people that have Rashad with them? Which is the opposite of uh, of being misled and being deceived. So the messenger said that these khulafa are going to have the characteristic of rushd, which is the opposite of riwayah, which is the opposite of being deceived. Rushd yani being upright. You can translate it as being upright. So the khulafa have been described with rushd which is being upright, the opposite of ghiwayah, which is being deceived. And likewise, he described these khulafa as being mahdiyun, that they have hidayah, guidance, which is the opposite of dalala, misguidance. These khulafa will have these two characteristics, rushd and hidayah. Rushd, being upright, Hidayah being guided. Rushd, that is Salah al-Amal, having correct actions. Rushd, that is in reference to your actions being correct. Hidayah, that is in reference to Salah al-Ilm, your knowledge being correct. The opposite, therefore, is having incorrect actions and having incorrect knowledge. These four caliphs that came after, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Allah Ta'ala alayhim, were described with correct uh, action and correct knowledge. Rushd and Hidayah. Rushd and Hidayah. Being upright and being someone that is guided. And the Prophet والسلام, he himself was also described with these two characteristics in Surah Al-Najm. مَا ضَلَّ صَاحِبُكُمْ وَمَا غَوَى That your sahib, your companion, meaning the Prophet وسلم, he is not misguided and neither is he misled. He is not erring. مَا ضَلَّ صَاحِبُكُمْ وَمَا غَوَى your companion is not misguided and he is not misled. Therefore, the opposite, the opposite of that is affirmed. That your companion, if he is not someone that is 
Misguided means that he's guided. He has hidayah. If he is not someone that is deceived and misled, then therefore he has a rushed. He is someone that is, has rushed, meaning that his actions are correct. His knowledge is correct and his actions are correct. Now the Prophet والسلام, in this particular narration, he describes Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Ridwan Allah Ta'ala with the same thing, with having correct action and correct knowledge by saying that they are khulafa al-rashidun al-mahdiyun successes that are rashidun meaning that their actions are correct and mahdiyun guided meaning that their knowledge is correct this is how the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam he described them therefore that means that what the messenger did and likewise what Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Ridwanullah Ta'ala alayhim, what their guidance was, then that is Sunnah. That is also Sunnah. And therefore we find that the Salaf in the early time, when they would use the word Sunnah, when they would use the word Sunnah, then they would say that in reference to the whole of the religion. Beliefs and actions and statements. Beliefs and actions and statements. In the early part of the history of our of Islam, when the Salaf would say, Alaykum bis Sunnah, Alaykum bis Sunnah, upon you is the Sunnah, then what were they referring to? What was the, connot- what was the meaning that the word a Sunnah carried when they said, you have to stick to the Sunnah? Meaning the whole of the deen. Later on, books were authored, and those books uh, were entitled as Sunnah. And though that, that term, when those books were authored saying as Sunnah, then that was in reference to Aqidah. Later on, scholars, when they would author books and they would entitle or they would use the word Sunnah in the book or give the name of the book as Sunnah, then it was in reference to. It was in reference to Aqeedah, because Aqeedah, that is the foundation of the deen. Tamam, part number seven, and this is the final part that we will uh, conclude with today. Part number seven is when the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ Be aware of the newly invented matters, because every innovation is a misguidance. And in another narration, the Messenger said, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ Be aware of the newly invented matters for every newly invented matter is an innovation and every innovation is a misguidance. Newly invented matters meaning those things that are, that are newly invented matters in the religion. If someone comes along to you and he wants to be clever and he wants to say you people of Sunnah, you Salafis, you say that innovation is something that is haram. Innovation in the deen is something that is prohibited. Okay, why then do you not say that cars are haram, that hoodies are haram, that bags are haram, pencil cases are haram, light bulbs are haram. None of these existed in the time of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam. So don't be, 
don't have double standards. You, the one that says you're Salafi, don't have double standards. If you're going to say that innovation is haram because it wasn't found, these things weren't found in the time of the Messenger then don't have a, uh, a discriminatory attitude. But be fair. Say that hoodies are haram. Say that light bulbs are haram. Say that cars are haram. Say that things like these are, that, that didn't exist in the time of the Prophet are haram. If someone says that to you, then say no, 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 no. The Messenger himself, alayhi salatu wasalam, qualified what type of innovation is haram. He himself made it clear that it isn't innovation mutlaqan in the unrestricted sense. He didn't say that it is innovation in the linguistic sense of the word. But rather, he made it clear that it is in reference to innovation in the religion. When he said, Man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu Whoever introduces something into this affair of ours. Ah, what are you referring to? This affair of ours. Yani the religion. Whoever introduces something into this affair. Yani the religion of Islam. Ma laysa minhu fahwarad. Whoever introduces something into this affair of ours that isn't originally from it, then it, sh then it shall be rejected. So the Messenger made it clear in this narration that innovation in the religion is something that is prohibited, not innovation in the linguistic sense of the word. Not innovation in terms of having hoodies and having light bulbs and having cars and microphones and things of that nature. Not in the dunyawi sense. In the sense of religious affairs. That is the thing that is prohibited. <coughs> and then Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he quotes some narrations from the scholars of the past in reference to this. Uh, one of them is the narration of Ibn Umar who said, Kullu bid'atin dalala wa in ra'ahan nas hasana. Every innovation is a misguidance, even if people see it to be hasana, even if people see it to be good. Innovation cannot be hasana, can't be good. If someone says, Ya hasana, this is a bid'ah hasana, it's a good innovation. You have to say to that person, my brother, either it is hasana, you're right or you're wrong. Either you are right in that it is hasana, or you are right that it is a, a bid'ah. You said this is a bid'ah hasana. You say, no, it can't be these two things. You can't mix these two things together. Either it is a bid'ah, <coughs> or it is, a, it is hasana, it is good. But it can't be bid'ah hasana. Either it is hasana, meaning it is actually from the sunnah. It is actually from the sunnah. Fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, don't say it's bid'ah hasana. Say it is hasana, it is good. Eid Malad and Nabi, Eid Malad and Nabi, celebration of the birthday of the Prophet. Don't say it is bid'ah hasana, say what it is. It's a bid'ah, it is an innovation. Don't call it hasana because it is not hasana. Ibn Umar, he said, Every innovation is a misguidance, even if people see it as being hasana. 
Likewise, Imam Malik, he made that famous statement, مَنْ اِبْتَدَعَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ بِدْعَةِ يَرَاهَا حَسَنَةِ فَقَدْ زَعَمَ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا خَانَ الْرِسَالَةِ Whoever innovates something into Islam, seeing it as being good, then he has claimed that Muhammad has khana al-risala. He has betrayed fulfilling the trust, fulfilling the trust of conveying the message. He has been deceptive. He has deceived us as far as conveying the risala is confirmed, uh, concerned. Conveying the message of Islam is concerned. Why? Because Allah has said, Today I have akmaltu. I have completed and perfected for you your religion. If something is kamil, if something is complete, then you can't add anything extra to it. If I pour water from this bottle into this cup, right up to the brim, right up to the point that it is now considered kamil, complete, then that means that if I add one extra dot or one extra drop of water, it's not, it's not going to go inside of it. The deen of Islam is complete and therefore there is no more room, no more space for any extra bits and bobs to come inside of it. It is complete. And thus Imam Malik, he then said, فَمَا لَمْ يَكُنْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ دِينًا فَلَا يَكُونُ لِيَوْمَ دِينًا Therefore, whatever wasn't deen, then, whatever wasn't deen in the time of the Prophet, then today that thing cannot be considered deen. Whatever wasn't part of Islam in the time of Prophet Muhammad then it can't be considered part of Islam today. If someone, if someone uh, perpetrates an act of innovation, he says do such and such an innovation a person claims that such and such a thing is good even though Muhammad never taught us that even though the companions weren't upon that then all you have to do is pose three questions to him pose three questions to him the one who says Eid Milad al-Nabi is a good thing brother don't criticize me if I if you don't want to do Eid Milad al-Nabi it's up to you no problem don't do it if you don't want these samosas of mine that I have made for Eid, Eid Milad al-Nabi, no problem. But don't criticize me for it. It is something that I want to do in expression of my love for the Messenger It's a celebration that I have and my community has out of our love for the Messenger Pose three questions to that person. Number one, do you believe that the Messenger he was a'lam al-nas. He was the most knowledgeable of mankind. Obviously, he's going to say yes. Tayyip. Was the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, number two. Was the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, ansah al-nas. Was he the one that was the most sincere to people? Sincere in conveying guidance to them. Obviously, the person's going to say yes. I believe the Messenger was A'lam al-Nas, the most knowledgeable of people. And I believe that the Messenger was Ansah al-Nas. He was the most sincere of people, sincere in conveying guidance to people. He wouldn't hide it. Okay, number three. Do you believe that the Messenger was Afsah al-Nas? He was the most 
eloquent of people. We spoke about it before. You have an idea in mind. You have a thought in mind. But you require eloquency. You require eloquency in order to be able to convey that idea, that thought, in the best and the most accurate way possible. Do you believe that the Messenger was the most eloquent of people? The person is going to say, obviously yes. Okay. So if the Messenger was a'lam al-nas wa ansah al-nas wa afsah al-nas, the most knowledgeable of people, and the most sincere of people, and the most eloquent of people, then how come he didn't tell us about al-milad al-nabi? Why did he not tell us about the birthday of the Prophet Because if it was the case that this religious celebration was something virtuous, something by which we can get close to Allah, then would not Prophet Muhammad know that? Obviously he would have known that. And thus he told us about Eid al-Abha and Eid al-Fitr. Otherwise, are you claiming that the messenger was ignorant about that? Okay, maybe he knew it. But then, are you trying to imply that he perhaps just hid it from us? He didn't tell us about Eid Milad al-Nabi? He thought, you know what, I've told them about Eid al-Fitr, I've told them about Eid al-Abha, Eid Milad al-Nabi, they can work it out themselves. If, they, if it's the case that he told us how to go to the toilet, then wouldn't he, alayhi salatu wasalam, tell us about Eid Milad al-Nabi, if there was any good in that, if it was going to bring us close to Allah? Okay. So you agree that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he was the most knowledgeable of people, and therefore he would, he would have known about Eid Milad al-Nabi. He was the most sincere of people, and therefore he would have conveyed it to us. But then basically what you're trying to say is that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, just didn't know how to tell us. He couldn't think of the right words to use to tell us about Eid Milad al-Nabi. His tongue got tied and he was unable to convey it. Wahasha. How free is the Messenger والسلام, from such an accusation? That he, وسلم, even though he was granted Jawami al Kalim, concise, comprehensive speech, he وسلم, was unable to tell us. He didn't have the vocabulary to convey to us, to transmit to us the importance of Eid Milad and Nabi. Wahasha. How free the Messenger is from that. Therefore, anybody that commits, commit is a word that is used, perpetrating is a word that is used concerning a crime. Eid Milad and Nabi is a crime. It's a crime against Allah. It's a crime against the Messenger because what you're saying is that you found out something that they failed to tell you about. It's a crime. And therefore, the one who commits this crime, whether he's doing it with the hujjah established upon him or not. Maybe someone doesn't know. Maybe some of us at one time in our life were engaged in Eid Milad and Nabi celebrating the birthday of Prophet and then Allah guided you. In a similar fashion, there's so many thousands of people out there who don't know and therefore with manners, with kindness, with gentleness, explain to them. Explain to them how this thing, it is something that is a jurm. It is something that is a crime against Allah and his messenger just by using those three principles there. The prophets in general and the prophet Muhammad was the most knowledgeable of people, the most sincere of people and the most eloquent of people and therefore it's impossible for Eid Milad al-Nabi to have been something virtuous 
Yet he, alayhi salatu wasalam, he, didn't tell, he did not then tell us about it. So inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll continue with this part and then we'll go over the summary of benefits and then inshallah ta'ala onto the next hadith. So until next week, Allah ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad, walhamdulillahi rabbil alam.